0: good morning good good to see y'all again it's good to be back and good to uh, be able to take a few minutes this morning I don't know whether it's there good news or bad news (laughs) it it could be bad news you know it's been six months since I preached (laughs) y'all got your lunch with you (laughs) (laughs) I just got a whole lot going on here (laughs) you know I, I was telling Susan as, as I was uh, kind of nearing the, this day, I, I sometimes sometimes preparing for a sermon, <laughs> you ladies, sometimes it's like delivering a baby. You really have to labor at it. You really have to work, you know. You wonder if it's going to come or not, you know. But but uh, this one has, has not been that way. It, it's just kind of been there. It's, it's, it's like taking an explosion and trying to channel it to where make some sense, and uh, it, it, so I'm not running out here and out here and all over the place, but hopefully I can uh, take all of this explosion that I have, have kind of felt as I have been studying. And the book of Zechariah, y'all ever heard of that one, <laughs> Zechariah? Well, Daniel, of course, preached through the minor prophets, and uh, certainly that's one of them. But if you turn to the book of Matthew, and turn left, and you go a couple of blocks. Turn through Malachi, and then you come to the second block over, the second book over, and that's, uh, that's Zechariah, and you can be finding that uh, while I'm kind of filling in here for a couple of moments. But uh, it, it truly is great to uh, be back with you, and you know, there's, there, there's really not anything uh, better, than to be able to spend some time alone with the Lord, but to also be able to share some of the things that you feel like you believe that God is speaking to you about. And and that's really what preaching is all about, or teaching. Those of you that are teachers, it, it, it's not a drain. It's an overflow. It's an overflow. and Boy, when God just got showing you all this stuff, it's, it's so exciting to have an avenue and a conduit to, uh, to, to share that. And, and so this morning, this morning, uh, I don't know how long the fountain's going to go, but uh, we'll, try to, we'll try to keep it in the banks here a little bit this morning. So I want you to be thinking about the title of my message up here, particularly on this first Sunday that we refer to as the Sunday, first Sunday of Advent. Believe it or not that there's only three more Sundays before Christmas, after this one. Four Sundays of Advent before, before Christmas. And we want to get focused on what this Christmas story is all about. And this first Sunday is oftentimes referred to as the prophecy candle. And, and we focus on prophecy, we focus on you know there's continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's not conflict between we don't we don't dismiss the old because the New testament is is contained in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is explained in the new testament. there's There's perfect harmony and perfect uh, continuity between the two. And and basically what we're looking at this morning when we think of prophecy, the prophets spoke not only the law of God, but the prophets spoke of the promises of God. And what we want to be thinking about is the promise of God's glory in our midst. That's where I'm headed today. The promise of God's glory in our midst. And, And I realize that right now you don't, you don't comprehend how big that is. How big it is for an individual, how big it is for a congregation, a community, yes, and even how big it would be for a nation to have God's glory in our midst. But what we're going to find out here is that God gives to us He is a promise maker, but He's also the promise keeper. And what we're going to see is some promises that God makes to us so that you and I here today can experience, not only in our individual lives, God's glory in our midst, but also corporately that we might experience God's glory in our midst. And so that's where we're headed. And let me kind of begin with uh, sharing with you here in Charles Dickens' familiar story, The Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by the ghost of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. These visions leave Scrooge a changed man, no longer to be the champion of humbug. (laughs) Instead, he becomes the paragon of charity and joy. As we look at the book of Zechariah, half of this prophet's message comes out of visions that God gives to him. These are not fantasy ghost dreams, but they are prophetic revelations from God. They are visions that God gives to Zechariah that he wants to communicate to us that reveal the hopeful, truthful promises of God for people who are in need of a Savior promises that God fulfilled 2,000 years ago in the advent of Jesus, but promises that God is continuing to fill today through that Savior that was born in Bethlehem. Before reading the text, it is important for you to understand something of the historical setting that frames the spiritual condition of those for whom these promises are made. For this first Sunday of Advent is all about salvation prophecy, God's promises that he makes and promises that he keeps. The historical setting is this, in spite of warning after warning, from prophet after prophet, the day finally came in 586 B.C. when the people reaped the consequences for their sins and especially the sin of idolatry to which they were so addicted. The Israelites went into exile into Babylon while the promised land was inhabited by other people. The situation was described in Jeremiah's broken-hearted book that is so sad that it's called Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 1 verses 2 and 5 help us understand the spiritual state of these people. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her among all her lovers. All of her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Her adversaries have become her masters. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord has caused her grief because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her little ones have gone away as captives before the adversary. This is passage of scripture these two verses and this entire book gives a description of people who are missing something that is most important we see a picture of their of their emotional state we see a picture of of their status bef- before others and, and all the other nations and there's something that's missing and that something that is missing is the glory of god in their midst How many lives in our community today, how many families in our community today, how many homes in our community today are missing that which money cannot buy, that is the glory in their midst? How many lives today, how many of you here today are missing the glory of God in your midst? The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, Paul sums it up in one summary statement when he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a single one of us here that doesn't know what it's like to sit and weep just like we had described of those people of Israel that Jeremiah described. There's not a single one of us here that doesn't know something of what it means and what to experience emotionally with regrets and the tears of regret that would come down our cheek. We've all come up short. We've all experienced that alienation from God. We've all know what it means to do that which we didn't intend to do and mess up and have to reap the consequences of our bad decisions. And so the whole setting that we have here is that this passage is directed toward those of us, which is all of us, that are in need of the glory of God within our midst. And so with that said, let's look at Zechariah 1, 1 through 4, and then we're going to look at verses 12 through 16, and then chapter 2, 1 through 5. Let's look at it. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Bechariah, the son of Idu, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, declares the Lord, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. Verses 7 through 11 give us the vision. I'm going to go to the message of the vision in verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, with which thou hast seen been indignant these seventy years? And the Lord answered the angel and was speaking with me with gracious words, comforting words, So the angel who was speaking with me said, "Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem. There's the first promise. I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. Here's the second promise. My house will be built in it, declares the Lord and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. Go down to chapter 2, verse 1. I lifted up my eyes, and I looked, and behold, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see how wide and how long it is. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, and said, run, speak to that young man, saying, Jerusalem, will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. For I, here comes the third promise, for I, he says, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her and I will be the glory in her midst. I realize that Most of us, and probably even myself included, really don't understand what it would be like to experience God's glory in our midst. Imagine the difference that it would make in your life. Imagine the difference that it would make in a family. Imagine the difference that it would make in strained relationships for God's glory to be in our midst. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. And I'm going to ask you to say it out loud. It's not a very long prayer, but it's a powerful prayer. prayer goes like this, just listen. God, give us a glimpse of Your glory in our midst. Pretty simple. God, give us a glimpse of your glory in our midst. Will you pray that with me? Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. If you really want that, if that's your desire, I'd like for you to pray that prayer with me right now out loud. God, give us a glimpse of your glory in our midst. Amen. I guess every sermon ought to have a proposition and so I give a proposition to you and that proposition that which I propose I believe comes right out of the text and that is this God makes a promise to be the glory in our midst. He makes a promise to be the glory in our midst. We don't have to beg. We don't have to plead there's not anything that He wants more for those of us who have fallen short of the glory of God and experience that fall, experience the effects of that sin in all areas and aspects of life. There's not anything more that He desires for us than to show up and, and that we might get a glimpse of His glory in our midst. And so my objective this morning as we look at these promises that I share and lay out before you and we explore together is to lead us as a church with God's glory in our midst. Nothing less than that. Nothing less than that. And so, it's been said, it's been said that perhaps one of the greatest questions of life is how do you start over again? When you've messed up, when you realize and you recognize that you've Falling short of the glory of God in your life is not manifesting the glory of God through your actions and your attitudes and behavior and all that kind of stuff, your relationships. And you begin to wonder, well, how do I start all over again? Well, I believe that God takes us a little bit deeper than that right here in this passage. And that is, I believe that He addresses the issue about those people who don't even know if they could start over again. It's not just a simple matter of knowing how to do it, but they even have some doubts, they even have some questions, they even have some wondering if, is there any hope for me to even try to start over again? And so where is it that God meets those of us who feel so helpless and so hopeless on our own efforts? Maybe we've tried and we failed and and, and so we've just kind of slipped into into this platitude where we just we're we're, we're afraid to try any harder because it seems like the harder we try the farther behind we get and so where is it that God meets us and where he meets us is this he meets us with promises he doesn't meet us in this passage what I want you to see is he doesn't meet us with giving us laws to, to, to lay on us that would produce more guilt but he gives to us promises to inspire hope hope And so, that's why I state here four hope-inspiring promises that God fulfills in Jesus' advent, His first advent. And here's the first promise. The first promise that's tucked away in here that I made reference to in verse 16, verse 14 and 16. The first one is this, is the promise of His return initiative is the promise of his return initiative. Here's what it says in verse 14 and verse 16. The angel of the Lord was speaking to me. He's proclaiming, say, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. Did you, did you remember what I told you about these people that lived in the city of Jerusalem and were considered a part of Zion? What kind of people they were? They were stubborn people. They were rebellious people. God told them what he wanted them to do, but they wanted to do their own thing. Who does that sound like? Sound <laughs> like you. Sound like every one of us. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every single one of us have turned and gone our own way. Every single one of us has a stubborn streak. Every single one of us wants to do things our own way. And that's exactly the kind of people that, that uh, those people in, in Jerusalem was. And what does it say? It says here, He says, "Thus says the Lord, I am exceedingly jealous for them." What does that mean? Did you know? And I can say this as a blanket statement, because there's not a single person in here that this would exclude. God loves you so much. You are so special to God. That he's jealous for you, you know. There, there's, there's, I guess there's probably two women in the world that I'm jealous for. One is my wife, and the other one's my daughter. Okay, and I don't want anybody messing with my wife. She's mine. She's my special treasure. And there's not anybody on the whole face of the earth that I have a greater, deeper passion for than Susan. And 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 and. What God is saying to us is that you and I are so special in His sight that He has a jealous love for us. He doesn't want to share us with anybody else. He doesn't want to share you with any other idol that's out there. He doesn't want to share you with any other interest out there. He wants you all for Himself. He wants you and I fully invested in Him. And that's the kind of love that He has for you. That's how special you are. And so he goes on, he says, therefore, because of this, the feelings that he has for each and every one, I know there's some of us here that say, well, God just really doesn't care about me. But yes, he does. He's got a jealous love for you. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. In three, God says, you return to me and I'll return to you. Now that sounds like a good, I mean, that sounds like a fair deal, doesn't it? You return to God and God will return to you. And the fact of the matter is, that's true. That's good news. And there are those of you that are not where you used to be in your relationship with God. You've gone astray. And right here this morning, the message that God wants you to hear is you return to Him and He'll return to you. That's good news. But I want to tell you something that's great news. I want to tell you something that's great news. He'll return to you. He has come to you even though you haven't come to Him. And that's the story and that's the message of Christmas. Before you ever made a move towards him, he made a giant move towards us. That's great news. That's his initiative coming to us. Well, when did that happen? When was it that God came to these people in Israel, in Jerusalem? Well, Zechariah 9.9 tells us that. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and he's endowed with salvation. Look how God comes to you. He comes to you humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Don't just see Jesus taking this humble ride, initiating the first step to people many years ago. What I want you to see is that the same God comes to you the same way. Over this uh, Thanksgiving holiday, Steve and his family, he's got two girls, and Kathy and her family and and, uh, her boy and girl, and they were all with us, and so we had the four grandkids at the house, and they got along real well. But you know, the rivalry began to develop between the siblings. Not not the cousins. They got along really well. But it's the siblings that had some problems. And there was an occasion or two when uh, there was a spat that was going on between brother and sister or sister and sister. And uh, mom and dad, they didn't want to take sides. They said, okay, let's come get this thing worked out. And of course, one says, he started it, she started it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera did this, did that. And, and the parent just says, you know, basically, I didn't come to take sides. I come to take over. And you are going to apologize, and you're going to make amends. So now here's the big question. Who goes first? Right? Who goes first? You know, there's one is standing there like this. The other standing there like this, stubborn, and, and, and setting their ways. and say, okay, okay, I might apologize, but... You know, she's got to go first, or he's got to do it first. I'll tell you what, God does it first. God comes to you first. Of, of all the people, we need to go to him first. But this is the kind of God, this is the kind of God that has come out of heaven and come down to this earth and, and, and actually entered into Jerusalem while those people had nothing to do with him. And he still came in and they crucified him, they rejected him but He came to them humble. I want you to understand something. That's the way God comes to you here today. God comes very humbly to you. Yes, He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. But He's the humble servant. And He comes knocking at your door. That's His initiative in your life. And I don't know exactly how He's knocking at your door this morning. I don't know if if you hear an inner voice. I don't know if you feel a certain emotion. I don't know if it's been somebody else that's been encouraging you. I don't know if it's circumstances that you're looking at and you say, God's trying to get my attention. But that is God's initiative. He is coming to you. And He's humbly knocking at the door. And anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into Him. There are those of you here this morning that want to pray a prayer. You want to say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, I want to open the door of my heart today. I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. I want you to take over the throne of my life. I want you to make me the kind of person that you want me to be. That's how you receive Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way. Paul made an amazing statement in Colossians chapter 1. He said, Christ in you. The hope of glory. The hope of glory. Your hope for glory. Your hope for experiencing the glory of God within your life is Christ in you. And He's taking the first step to you. And He's knocking at the door. And there are those of you who will receive Him today. That's the first promise. There's a second promise. And the second promise is the promise to build a house that's what he says he says i'm going to return to jerusalem with compassion and my house will be built in it when god returned to jerusalem in his triumphal entry that we have recorded for us in, in matthew mark and luke we have him coming back coming in on the donkey the the people singing praises to him and where did he go When he got to Jerusalem, he went to the temple. He went to God's house. He went there and he saw that people were taking God's house and not using it as a glory to him, but instead for their own benefit and their own purposes. And Jesus turned over the tables and Jesus said that this house is not the house of prayer that God intended it to be. And the very place on the face of the earth that was to be filled with God's glory was was a place of disgrace to God. And we find these words by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus came out of the temple. He was going away when his disciples came up to the point of the temple to point out the temple buildings to him. And here's what he said. Don't you see all these things? Don't you see all the things that are going on? Truly I say to you, there's coming a day when not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. That's happened in AD 70 when the Romans came in and ransacked Jerusalem. Just one generation passed, 40 years passed the time that Jesus was there. Zechariah records a promise for us that tells us, that when God returns to Jerusalem, He's going to fulfill a promise that He is going to rebuild His temple. Well, what's His temple going to look like? Are we looking for bricks and and stones and everything to be rebuilt in Jerusalem? No. He tells us in Matthew 16, 18, I say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church. Jesus is no doubt in my mind pointing to Himself. I'm going to build a church. I'm going to build a brand new temple. And that temple is going to be built on me. And those of you who are believers and followers of mine, you're going to be the ones who make up this temple. Peter gives us insight to that in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, Coming to us, or coming to Him, as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What is he saying? What's the temple that he has built? Look around for just a moment. Look at at the person beside you for a moment. Look, Look at the people behind you. Look at the people in front of you. The people over here on this side of the room. People over here on this side of the room. Those are the building blocks. Those are the living stones. We come to Christ, He gives us life. He is the rock. We come to Him and there's life in that rock. And He gives life to us and He draws us to Him. And, and, and that's, how important, that's how important each and every single one of us is in His kingdom. He's in the process of building a a temple and we are that temple. And that is a promise. There's a promise to build his house and we are that house. Not only is there a promise to build a house, but I love this one. This promise is the promise to be a wall of fire. That's what he says. For I declares the Lord will be a wall of fire around her. Now, what's this wall of fire all about? This wall of fire is not a wall that's a barrier to keep people out. It's not a protective barrier even. It is a defining wall. It defines and it marks the identity of those who are within the confines of that wall. In other words, those who are within the wall are marked with the fire of God. Throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, we need to understand that the presence of God in the midst of His people is associated with fire. Exodus 3.2 The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. In Exodus 13.21 the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on their way in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. Now when Solomon had finished praying, praying a prayer of dedication about the building of the temple, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifice, and the glory of God... The glory of the Lord filled the house. So, in the Old Testament, what we see is we see the presence of God in the midst of his people. First of all, in the midst of Moses as he's in the midst of the bush, in the midst of the people that are out in the wilderness, in the midst of the cloud and the fire. And yes, in, in the midst of Jerusalem, there, among the people, there, with Solomon, as he, the, the glory of the Lord is in the midst of the people and the fire and the temple. And so, what about the fire today? Look what John has to say in Luke 3 16. John answered, and he said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water. But there is one who is coming who is mightier than I. I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? And with fire. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that when they're baptized, they just get wet. But my question to you is this. Did you get the fire? Did you get the fire? We go on and we find out that later on in in Luke's Gospel, Jesus says another amazing, this is a purpose statement. Every once in a while, there's some purpose statements. There's several of them, five or six purpose statements that are so clear as this one is. One of them is in in, in John 10:10. 10, 10, for I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Here's another one of these. I have come statements. Clearly, Jesus clearly defines the reason for which he's come. He says, "I have come. Why? To cast fire on the earth." And he says, how I wish it had already been kindled. That's what I looked for. I looked for the glory of God within people's lives and in this community of life. I looked for it already on the face of the earth, but it wasn't even here. And so that's the reason why I've come. I have come to cast this fire. Let me ask you this. How would you describe your relationship with God right now? Could it be described... As, as a relationship that's on fire for him? Is it one that's just sort of flickering for him? Is it all but gone out? Or is there no fire at all? I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about a fire. But uh, I think of somebody that's got passion. I think about somebody that's got zeal. I think about somebody who's got enthusiasm. And that person's got The fire. And Jesus is saying to us, He said, I make a promise to you. Zechariah sees that God's making a promise to you. And He says, I want to be that wall of fire. I'm going to be that fire in your midst. I long for the church, North Roanoke Baptist Church, that's on fire for God. I want to be on fire for God. Yes, I retired six months ago. But I want you to know something. I don't want the fire to go out just because I'm retired. I still want to stay close to God in his word. I still want to have a message for God. I still want to share Christ with other people. I still want to be with other people in fellowship of his fire. So this fire does not go out. How easy it is for the fire to go out. How easy it is for this log. That even at one time burns brightly to go over here and set it on the cold hearth all by itself. And you stay by yourself one week and two weeks and three weeks and four weeks. And one week and several weeks turns into months. And the next thing you know it's years. And all your fire for the Lord has gone all but out. And you need to take that log and put it back in the fire again. So we burn brightly for Him. Not only is there the promise to build a house, but there's the promise to be the fire. But also, finally, there's another promise. And that promise is this. It's the promise that people from all around the world will join themselves to the Lord and become my people. This this was hundreds of years before Jesus ever came in Bethlehem. Hundreds of years before Jesus told his disciples, Yes, I'm leaving this place, but I'm not leaving you alone. I am going to send you the gift of the Holy Spirit, who will be a fire in your life. And that Holy Spirit is going to start to spread. And that that fire is going to spread not just to those within the circle of Israel. But that fire is going to jump the wall and that fire is going to spread to those Gentiles to even include people in Roanoke, Virginia in the year 2016. And that's what he's talking about right here. It's a promise that people from all around the world would join themselves to the Lord and they will become my people. And folks, you and I, every single person that prays to receive Christ, every person that receives not only the baptism by water, but the baptism, most importantly, of the Holy Spirit with fire. God includes them. They become His people. Here's what Zechariah says in Zechariah 2 10 and 11 Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming. That's Christmas. And I will dwell in your midst. What did John say? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory even as of the Father declares the Lord and what will happen as a result of that many nations many outsiders many outcasts many who would have been least expected will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. You know, the most exciting time in a believer's life, the most exciting time, the most joy-filled time that the fires burn the brightest is when somebody else joins with the Lord. There's not anything that makes you any happier than that. To see that somebody else will follow in in, in giving their life to Christ so that that fire of God begins to burn within them. There are those of you here today that not only do you want to pray and receive Christ into your life, to receive the promise of His Spirit within you, but yes, you want to take that next step. You want to join with us and, and be counted among those who are the people of God. We're going to sing in just a few moments an invitation, an opportunity for you to come as we sing about Jesus the Messiah. But before we do, there are those of you that want to kind of seal the deal with a prayer before Him. Let's all bow together and pray and I'm going to ask the team to come and be ready to, to lead us in singing Jesus the Messiah upon the conclusion of the prayer. Heavenly Father, Your grace initiatives. In many ways, God, they're they're unique. You know where every single one of us is. You know where we are in our relationship with You. You know how hot the fire is or how cold it is. God, You know how stubborn that we can be. You know everything about us. And yet, God, You still come to us. God, You still offer to us to be the glory in our midst. And God, right now, there are those that want to say, God, I want Your glory in the midst. I want Christ in me. He's my hope of glory. Right now, I open my life to You. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. There are those that are here that want to say, Lord Jesus, I've kind of lost the fire and I need to come back to you. I want to return to you. I want you to restore the passion and the zeal, and the enthusiasm for you. Remove those things in my life that have distracted me and got me off course. And God burned brightly within me again. And then there are those that God's, they want to say, Lord, today's the day. I want to join with your people here at North Roanoke Baptist Church. May we rejoice together as you bring them to us. In Jesus' name, amen.